Those of you who don't know me and my wife, this is my wife Ashley and my boys are over there, Teddy and Tyler. Uh, we've been uh, coming to Waypoint a little bit over a year and uh, I look forward to the opportunity to, uh, to look at this passage and, and talk about loving our neighbors this morning. So I wanted to mention that that we were, Ashley and I were a CARES team in, uh, in Charleston, and the boys, they were a big part of it as well, uh, in Charleston for almost four years. And, uh, and then I was given the opportunity to join staff with Apartment Life and come up here to the Triangle so that we can uh, start the program here. And uh, so we were a CARES team here for a year as well. Um, and and I, it's something, the reason why I joined staff was because it really changed our life. Uh, it had a huge impact on who we are today. And when I think about what is it that impacted us so much is that I think it really taught us what it means to love our neighbor. When you move into an apartment community, now granted, our context was, you know, we lived on the marsh in Charleston. We could see the Ravenel Bridge. Uh, it felt like a resort. It didn't feel... Uh, like it was suffering at all. But uh, when you live in apartments, you live really close to a lot of people uh, and you can't help but interact with them a lot. And so, so what was interesting is prior to being a CARES team, um, I was really involved with crew in, in college a uh, long, long time ago. We used to call it Campus Crusade back then. Uh, that's how long, that's how old I am. Uh, after that, I went overseas for a year. I lived in, in Bulgaria, uh, went, moved down to South Carolina, went to seminary, uh, was on church staff for a while uh, in youth and family ministry, even uh, planted a, a house church through the South Carolina Baptist Convention, which is something, it's a story too big, too big to go into now, but I find that I think God was just being, decided to have a little fun and said, let's try to do a house church in Southern Baptist Convention. Um, but so we've had lots of experiences, and we did a lot to try to serve God. We, we, had, we hosted Bible studies. I was on church staff. We, we, uh, we shared our faith. We had people over our home. We mentored students. All of these things we did a lot of. But once we became a CARES team and started really connecting with our neighbors, I realized that I don't think we spend a lot of time really loving people, you know, and that's the, you know, that's the great commandment is to love God. And then Jesus links that and he says, and the other, the second one is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I think if we're honest with ourselves in, in American Christianity uh, and in the American church, we can do a lot of the right things, but not really love people. And that was kind of where we found ourselves and why CARES had such a huge impact in our life uh, and why we're kind of here today is, is to kind of help with that, uh, help others experience that kind of same thing. And so when you stop and think about it, though, it's really odd that we struggle so much to actually love our neighbors and love people. I mean, it is the great commandment, right? Uh, when we look at the life of Jesus... I mean, John 3.16, it's obvious. God so loved the world. You know, John 1.14, uh, the message paraphrase says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus said things like, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Uh, he said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He, he, he clearly demonstrated in the way he lived and the things he said that 
loving people is really important. But yet, in my experience, and I don't know that we, we do that really well in America, in American Christianity. And so I really want to challenge you to think about that today. I want you to be thinking in your mind, how well am I loving my neighbors? Yeah, I, in the Bible also, it's not only Jesus, but I want to look at an example of Paul. Uh, and I have to be honest, when I think of Paul, the first thing that pops into my mind is Billy Graham. Like I got this mentality when you read through the book of Acts um, that Paul, you know, he's, he kind of helicopters or I guess sails in on a ship. You know, people get a crowd together. He preaches the gospel. Thousands of people become sa- get saved. And then he leaves and goes to the next city. Yeah, but that actually isn't at all uh, very often the way Paul operated. Uh, and when you, you see in a lot of his his, uh, his writings, there's a great love for people in, in the context of those. And I want to look at one of those here this morning. I want to look at um, 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bible, you can flip to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And um, we're going to spend a little bit of time kind of talking through this passage because I think it's incredibly profound. And I think it really hits home on this concept of loving our neighbor. And last week, as you're flipping there, I'll mention, Danny spoke about the Great Commission last week. And I think that these two things are, are interlinked. I think that a lot of what hopefully I can communicate is that, that, that these are, are not two separate things, but they're, they're really the same thing and they're interlinked and they work together. So in verse 8, First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight. Um, it says, "So being affectionately desirous of you." And so this is the English Standard Version, the ESV. Uh, it sounds like um, Mr. Peabody. Uh, if any of you have seen Mr. Peabody in Sherman, but uh, really what he's saying, um, because we love you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you'd become very dear to us. Do you guys catch that? I mean, I think that is incredibly powerful and significant that, that they, were, they wanted to share their lives with people. They didn't know these Thessalonians before he got there, but, but yet he, he loved them and he wanted to share his life with them, not just share the gospel with them. And, and Jesus knew that the power to effectively share the gospel comes through loving people. You know, and I, I think that's very profound, and I think the thing that Ashley and I, that we struggled with, that we, that we learned through this, is that um, when you take the time to love people first, it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, and, 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 you know, sometimes, and as I mentioned, we were doing a lot of the right things, but, but reflecting back, we didn't have that love element that we, we can easily do the right things with the wrong motives. And when you look at uh, earlier in this passage, Paul says a number of things that kind of highlights that his motive truly was love. It was based out of love. In verse 3, he says, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or an attempt to deceive. Verse 5 says, for we never came with words of flattery nor a pretext for greed. Uh, Verse 7, but we were gentle among you like a mother taking care of her children. We worked night and day not to be a burden to you 
in verse 9, verse 10, your witnesses, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you. Verse 11 and 12, you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you, charged you to work in a ma- walk in a manner worthy of God. And so Paul was really genuine. Uh, and, and people understood how much he loved them. I don't know that when, if we were to go and ask people who don't go to, the, go to church, you know, when you think of church people, what do you think of? I'm not sure many of them would say love as the first thing they think of. I feel loved by people, you know, and, and a lot of that may not be our fault. There's a few people out there who are kind of an extreme and they kind of give a, a bad name, but, but Jesus said they'll know we're his children by our love. Right, and so, so Paul was so genuine. He didn't have any agendas. He didn't have any motives. These people didn't feel like a project. Didn't feel like they, that, you know, that Paul's goal was to convert them. They didn't feel like, you know, Paul's motives were like, hey, I want to I be a good Christian, so, so this is what I need to do. This wasn't obligation. Uh, he wasn't acting out of guilt. Uh, he wasn't greedy. It wasn't like, hey, more people to accomplish the mission if I reach out to these people. You know, uh, if I'm honest, when I was on church staff, um, I think there were a lot of times when a new visitor came, you know, subconsciously it was like, hey, this is another, another set of hands for the nursery or another set of, you know, and, and that wasn't his motive at all. His motive was purely he loved these people and wanted to be able to share the truth of the gospel with them. And so, what I think we need to realize is that when we show the love of Christ, we're better equipped and more effective in sharing the love and salvation of Christ. And sometimes we just go straight to the, we just go straight to the second. And in fact, I think that um, yeah, at some point in American history, 80, 100 years ago, uh, there's this concept that came, liberal theology became a thing, and you can uh, Google it or something like that. Um, but I was looking online, and, and liberal theology came in and basically started focusing just on the humanity of Jesus and started questioning a little bit about, um, about his deity, and, and there was a whole bunch of other things involved in that. But, but that group of people started focusing solely on how do we care for people and help the poor? And so as we're so typical to do, uh, we go to the other extreme in response when somebody goes to an extreme. And so then this other group of people formed were evangelicals, which I guess we would probably call ourselves today. Um, and they were like, our, our only goal is to share the gospel message. And, and I think that that split has been one of the worst things that could have happened in American Christianity. I don't think that that is of God at all. I think that um, we have to get back to the point where it's not either or. It's both and. That God calls us to love our neighbor, and when we love our neighbor, that gives us the opportunity to share the gospel in the right context. And, and we have to recapture that. And, and Paul exhibits that in this passage. And so, 
the interesting thing is to look at the results, uh, and the results actually are in chapter one first, and so I want to just look at a couple verses in, in uh, if you'll flip back over to 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 8. Um, verse 6, Paul says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In verse 7, he it goes on to say, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, uh, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. And he goes on to say, like, we got there, and you'd already, they'd already heard about you. They'd already heard the message because of the impact that you had. And I think that's really interesting, uh, you know, because sometimes, again, if we're honest with ourselves, we try to change people's behavior. We just want people to act like Christians. We want them to act like us. You know, and Paul loved people, was able to share the gospel message, and then was a, you became imitators of us and God. Their conduct was changed, not because Paul was like, you guys are really bad, you need to change. Uh, their conduct was changed because through Paul's love for them and through his sharing the gospel, Jesus changed their life. And I think the important thing we need to realize in this context is people need Jesus. Don't spend time trying to change people's behavior before they come to Christ. They need an encounter with Jesus. He is really good at changing behavior. Uh, he does a great job of that. But when somebody's spiritually dead, they don't have the ability really to change, change their behavior. Focus on introducing them to Jesus. Again, starting loving people. Uh, and then they became the example. So they imitated God, they imitated Paul, and they went out and loved people and share the gospel with people. And so the, the Great Commission part, the thing that Danny talked about last week, kind of comes in there. They went and made disciples. Just as they were invested in by Paul, they, they, they reproduced that model. So I, I, think, I think sometimes if we're honest, we share the gospel out of guilt. We share the gospel out of obligation. It's what we're supposed to do. Um, and, and I feel like that creates a lot of tension. It creates a lot of tension in our lives. It creates a lot of tension for the people who, uh, who we talk to. Um, and, and, and God calls it, I believe that if we love people first, if we take the time to love people first, then we kind of flip the coin. So I could share, in my personal life, I went through a lot of different uh, evangelistic techniques growing up. I went through a lot of different, I learned a lot of different methods and, you know, would go, go out and, and visit somebody who came to church and I'd try to share the gospel with them uh, in that conversation. And, and if I'm honest with myself, it, uh, I was so nervous and, and uptight about it that it was almost like I vomited the gospel on them. It was almost like I was just, you know how you feel when you're sick and you, you don't want to vomit, but you know it'll help you feel better? And you just kind of, you're just like, blah, you know? And that's what we do sometimes because we're so uptight about sharing the gospel. We know we're supposed to do it. We feel guilty that we're not doing it. And then it's just like, blah, here it is. And that person kind of, a lot of times, has the like, what, what do I do with this? Like, how do I... And you're like, oh, I feel so good. I finally got it out, you know? And they're like, oh, this is great. You know, what do I do? And so I think that when we take the time 
our experience has been when we take the time to love people, then they're desperate for that. And actually what happens is they vomit their life on us. They, they, like, as soon as they see that we really care about them, they're like, here's my mess, Blah, you know? Uh, and sometimes they share a whole lot more of their mess than you feel like you need to hear. But then that's when you're able to say, like, it's okay, you know, I've got a mess too. But, but I, my, I deal with my mess because of the love, the restoration that God has brought to my life through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. We're able to then speak that truth into their situation. And, and I feel like it changes everything. It change, people can't be upset at you because you're, they brought their mess and you just said, yeah, here's how I deal with my mess. You know? And even if they don't agree, it becomes, it, it's a natural way you know, for, peop- for us to be able to share our faith. But it comes first by loving our neighbor and, and investing in that. And so I want to look back at the Good Samaritan story. You don't have to put it up there, actually. I just want to touch on one thing in that before moving into some practicals, because I want to try to leave you with some practicals today. So, so it's interesting. The, the, the lawyer basically says to Jesus after Jesus shares this, he, the lawyer wants to justify himself, and he says, well, who is my neighbor? Right? And so who is it that I'm... And, and really... He's trying to find a loophole. He wants to be able to go, I love my neighbor, because, and he wants to define his neighbor in the way he wants to. And, and honestly, I think that we fall into the same traps. And there's a book that I recommend called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, and they talk about this a little bit. And I think we, we fall into this trap in two ways. Number one, we fall into the everybody's my neighbor trap. And, and I mean, honestly, that's Jesus' point in this in this you know, scenario is everyone is your neighbor. But the problem is, is that when we, when we take only the macro view of everybody is my neighbor, then it's impossible to love everybody. You know, uh, it's just too big for me to, to do. And so it can be an excuse. If I can't love any, everybody, I'll just kind of love these people that are just like me, or I'll just kind of love the people that I'm most comfortable loving. Uh, and, and we can create a loophole where we don't really have much of an impact. They say in, this, um, in that book, Art of Neighboring, if we don't take Jesus' command literally, then we have metaphoric love for our metaphoric neighbors and our communities are changed, but only metaphorically. In other words, nothing changes. We need to apply Jesus' teaching to our literal neighbors, real people with real names, real phone numbers, and addresses. That, that kind of hurts, I think, uh, it did to me. The second way we can kind of, uh, you know, look for a loophole is, you know, the guy in the story that the Samaritan helps is the guy on the side of the road. And so uh, the, the guy's hurting. You know, we've got a hurricane going on right now, and so we're really keyed in on maybe hurricane relief, or we actually literally see people on the side of the road at the stoplight, and we can give them a couple bucks, or, you know, we, we run in a 5K to help with St. Jude's, and, and those are all really good things. They're all things that we should do, but they're also all things that we kind of wind up doing from a distance. And, and while it's a way to serve people, it's not really the kind of love that Jesus is talking about here. And so what are some 
practical steps. How can we uh, love our neighbor, our actual neighbor? So everybody is our neighbor. The guy on the side of the road is our neighbor. But our neighbor is our neighbor too. Our coworkers are our neighbor too. Uh, the, the waitress at your favorite restaurant is a neighbor too. The person at the checkout counter is a neighbor too. How do we, how do we go about loving those people in a way that with the goal of being able to be Christ to them. And so I think if we, we got to acknowledge that with a lot of these folks, they're more strangers than they are neighbors. And so how do we move from being a stranger to being in a loving neighbor relationship with somebody? So the first thing is get to know their name. Think for a minute. Think about the people who live nearby you. How many of those people do you know their name? In that book, The Art of Neighboring, they say, we know one thing about love. It's a lot easier to do when you know somebody's name. And the truth is, is that we know more people's dog's name than we know their name. Have you ever done that? It's like, oh, you're Lulu's mom or you know, something like that, but we don't know their name, but we know their dog's name. Um, at least knowing their dog's name is a step closer, I guess, maybe. Uh, cause, uh, but, but knowing somebody's name is incredibly important. It's a great first step. And I have to be honest, and I've done this with a number of you, peop- you out here. Like, you'll, if you come up to me and I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? I totally don't know your name. Uh, you know, and I do that a lot in my neighborhood as well. Uh, and, and I've learned that I have to just be like, look, I feel horrible. Uh, I know you've told me your name, but I can't remember it. You know, can, you please, and the, can you please let me know, you know, tell me your name again? So be willing to do that. Be, it's, it sounds simple, and it, and it is simple, but it's powerful. You know, when you take the time to know somebody's name. Be in proximity to people. You got to be where people are. Like Ashley and I, we bought our house, we bought a townhome uh, for the, because there are a lot of people grouped together, there's a pool, there's, a, there's ways to interact with people. So you, we have to be intentional about doing those things. So join your HOA, join a bowling league, join a gym, you know, ask coworkers to go out to lunch with you, you know, ask people, you know, hey, you want to go watch the football game on Monday night, you know, kind of, you know. If you're a parent, talk to the parents at the soccer field or at gymnastics or at the bus stop. You know, actually, let's put our phones down uh, and actually talk to people. You know, it's a great way to move from stranger to acquaintance. And so how do we move from acquaintance to a neighbor relationship? Have parties. Throw parties. Right? I mean, parties are a great way to get to know people you know a little bit better. And they're also a great way to get, peop- get to know people you don't know so, so well. Ashley and I have hosted a wine tasting. We've hosted a holiday drop-in in our neighborhood uh, because we want to try to get to know our neighbors. And we would go out and pat, you know, put little invitations to our neighbors' doors. You know, some people came. We didn't really even know who they were before they came. Other people came. We, we knew who they were. You know, we, we had a relationship with them. But it's a great way to get to know people. Second thing you could do is go to parties when people invite you to a party. You know, uh, in in Luke uh, chapter 5, Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, and Matthew throws a party. 
And it's a party with a lot of people who aren't necessarily um, churchgoers, perhaps. So, so uh, the Pharisees grumble, and they say to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, Those who are well do not have need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." So Jesus' reaction shows that this wasn't like a church potluck. It wasn't Mountain Dew and pizza. Like this was a different kind of party, right? They wouldn't have been so upset at Jesus for going if it was that kind of a party. So Jesus is with some interesting pe- some people who need him, right? And so when was the last time somebody questioned you like Jesus was questioned? When was the last time somebody was like, Back when I was young, it was like, are you backsliding? You know, like, you know, I saw you hanging out with so-and-so on, you know. Back then we had church on Wednesday night, and so you weren't at church on Wednesday. Are you okay? What are you doing? You know, uh, when, like, are, you, are we willing to go where people are? Because the thing is, is that a lot of people who need Jesus aren't coming to our turf. They're not coming to where we are. So Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost. And so we've got to go where they are. Now, I'm not saying don't keep boundaries for yourself. Uh, I'm not saying don't be, be um, you know, don't put yourself in a compromising situation. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is when people invite you, you know, take the opportunity to spend time with people. And it's a golden opportunity when somebody invites you to, to go spend time with them. Uh, and, and we need to take advantage of that. So in The Art of Neighboring, it says, when was the last time you were accused of doing something like this? Has your character ever been questioned because you ate and drank with sketchy people? We need to be willing to follow Jesus and choose to be with others in uncomfortable situations. We also must be willing to enter their world. And so in Jesus' time... People didn't eat with people of a different social standing. They didn't, certainly didn't eat with people of a different religion. This quote, this was some guy, it was actually quoted in a book called The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. This guy's named Ben Myers. He wrote a book called The Aims of Jesus. I'd never heard of it before. But he said this, the act of Jesus was to reverse the structure. Communion first, conversion second. His table fellowship with sinners implied no acquiescence of their sin, For the gratuity of the reign of God canceled none of its demands. But in a world in which sinners stood inescapably condemned, Jesus' openness to them was irresistible. Contact triggered repentance. Conversion flowered from communion. In the tense little world of ancient Palestine, where religious meanings were the warp and woof of social order, this was a potent phenomenon. I love that that line, that part where he says... um, Communion first, conversion second. Jesus was willing to go where people were to build a relationship with them so that he could bring his love and his salvation to them. So we need to do the same. Uh, so how do we, how do we go then if, we're, if we go from stranger to acquaintance, acquaintance to neighbor, how do we go from neighbor to sharing the gospel or, or, or having a, a, pe- a spiritual impact in people's lives? I love the parable of the growing seed for this. I think Jesus lays out a model for us. He says, The kingdom of God is like a man who's scattering seed on the ground. 
He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts his sickle to it, because the harvest has come. So Jesus used this, uses this as, a, I think, he says, the farmer's job is to scatter seed and to harvest. It is not the farmer's job to grow the seed. And so what we need to realize is it is not our job to grow the spiritual seeds. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we spend a whole lot of time trying to grow seed in people's lives, and that's not our job. Our job is to scatter seed, and it is to harvest. So what does scattering seed mean? Simply, it can mean trying to, just in those conversations with those friends, let them know that you're a person of Christian faith. You know, let them know, um, oh yeah, our associate pastor at church loves uh, the Tar Heels. <laughs> I have a hard time with that, but like if somebody is a Tar Heel fan, you know, making a comment like that, you know, that just lets them know you're a person who goes to church. It's really easy, you know, to do. Uh, you never know how God's going to use that kind of seed. You know, I, I, don't, I don't like the Tar Heels at all, so it's hard for me to even say that. Uh, but like being able, to, uh, being able to use little things to let people know that you're a person of Christian faith, weaving those things in your... If somebody goes to, went to see a movie recently that you went with your small group to go see, oh yeah, my small group at church, we just went to go see that movie together. You never know how God's going to use that little starting point in somebody's life. Because I think God is working in every person's life. And when we do those things, we get a little glimpse of how he might be working and how open they may be to it. So if they just like respond by not a, just kind of ignoring it and moving on, you're like, well, I need to keep loving this person. If they start asking questions, then you're like, hey, maybe they're open to how the Holy Spirit's working. Maybe I can move a little bit further. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians goes on to say, um, you know, I, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And, and, and he affirms that it's God's job to make it grow. But he talks about Apollo watering the seed. And so, so watering seed could then be praying for that person. It could be having more, more little conversations like that. Uh, it could be hopefully getting to the point where you're sharing the gospel with somebody. But taking little steps uh, as people respond and as you're loving uh, is how we can water that seed. But again, we need to remember that only God grows the seed. When we try to grow seed on our own, we run ahead of the Holy Spirit. And I think we spend so much time, again, based out of guilt, like, I don't want to not do what I'm supposed to do, uh, that we run ahead of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's when you, you meet people who have been hurt by somebody, it's probably somebody who ran ahead of the Holy Spirit, who met well in trying to, te trying to share something about, about God, but they ran ahead of the Holy Spirit. We have to be pr praying to help, help us realize what God's calling us to do in the moment and realize that we're not the seed grower. We're, we're simply the scatterer and the harvester and the waterer. And God makes the seed grow, so we can't run ahead of him. Uh, we can't do... We can't do the types of, you know, again, that vomiting the gospel type of thing. Uh, we have to avoid those situations and trust the Holy Spirit to use us how he wants to right now uh, in, those, in those times. So I want to kind of close with, I think, one of the biggest barriers to loving our neighbor. Uh, and there are a number of barriers, but the biggest one in, in our culture is busyness. 
I think, I think we, have to, we have to do a few things. We have to be smart with our time, right? We have to, I think we may need to, to think about giving something up so that we have space in our lives. But some of it is just being intentional. If you're going with your small group to go see Thor Ragnarok in a couple months, invite some of your coworkers or invite a neighbor to go with you. You're doing it already. Just be strategic to invite somebody that you don't know. You know, be intentional that way. You know, there's, uh, after church, there's a, I'm giving a shameless plug for small group signups right now. After church in the back, there's going to be uh, a chance to sign up for small groups. Uh, the fourth week of the month is supposed to be a missional living opportunity. So be intentional this fall about throwing parties in your neighborhoods and having your small group come help you with that. If each person in your small group took a different month to throw a party in their neighborhood and everybody came and helped them love their neighbors, then come Christmas time, it, it, it'll probably be really impactful to invite those neighbors to come to, to Christmas service uh, rather than not really knowing anybody and then inviting them. So you have an opportunity within small group to really be intentional this way. I really want to share that, but I'm going to skip that because... Uh, so, uh, because of time. But there's another book called The Five Habits of Highly Missional People. I recommend that. It's a really short book. Um, the author's name is Michael Frost, and he gives a little acrostic to help you, to help us, if we want to try to be more intentional this way. And the acrostic is bells. And it's uh, bless, eat, listen, learn, and scent. So bless. I'll bless three people this week at least one of whom is not a member of my church. So that's a commitment you can make to try to be more intentional about loving your neighbors. I'm going to bless three people this week. One of them, at least one of them, is not a member of my church. Or I would say not, not somebody that I know is a Christian. Eat. I'll eat with three people this week, and at least one of them is somebody that I don't know if they're a Christian. So we love to eat, right? I mean, that's an easy one. That should be a great excuse to eat even more. And then he says, listen, I'll spend at least one period during the week listening for the Spirit's voice. And again, I'd like to say, you know, touching on what I just touched on before, that, you know, listening to how he wants you to love people and how he wants to use you in their life. Learn, spend at least one period of the week learning Christ. And then sent is journal through the week the ways I alerted others to the reign of God in our life. So... There's a story of these two groups of people who went to Thailand to be missionaries. One group, their desire was to bless people and to serve people. The other group, their sole job was to try to convert people and share the gospel with everybody they met. And as people reflected and studied these groups of people, they found the group of blessers had an enormous impact in blessing and helping people through their needs. But they also found that they were 50 times more effective in conversions than the people whose only goal was to convert people. 50 times more effective. It's not both and. I mean, it's not either or. It's not either we love people or we share the gospel and make disciples. We love people so that we can be effective in sharing the gospel and making disciples. And I just want to challenge you this week as you think through how well am I loving my neighbors? 
How well am I loving the people in my life who need Jesus? Um, I encourage you to take some of these practical steps uh, to really begin to invest in the lives of your neighbors and love them because they're people, not because we have an agenda, but because they're people that God created and God loves and see what God wants to use you to do in their life. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. I thank you for the people who have invested in loving me, loving my life, loving me in a way to help me come to uh, an understand a salvation through Christ, and loving me to help me grow in my relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that um, the interesting thing about the story is Jesus says to the to the lawyer, "Do this, and you will live." And the truth is, is that as we love and serve other people, we experience fulfillment in our own lives because we're living what you've called us to live. We're living a life of love, loving you, loving others, and making disciples. That's what you've called us to do. And Father, I pray that, that in the coming weeks and years of our lives that you would use us to love our neighbors uh, in simple ways, But Father, you're a God who uses simple things to make eternal difference in people's lives. And would you use us to do that? And would we be able to marvel at how you grew the little seeds that we were able to plant in other people's lives? And would you receive all the glory for it? And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.